Hi. Hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> How great thou art, huh? It's a great song. I've sung it my whole life. And sometimes we don't pay attention to what we're singing. So this morning is really about the greatness of God, but on a practical note, if you will. So Jesus asks in his life, in his ministry life, he asks 307 questions. So I'm going to go through all of those this morning. (laughs) Just to remind you that he asks a lot of questions, right? I'm just going to ask this one question that he asks, which is the title of this sermon. Where's your faith? And he's asking it to his disciples. He's not asking it to just anybody. He's asking it to his disciples. So I'm considering that most of the people that are sitting here listening to me this morning are, in fact, trying to follow Jesus in some way. Believers in him, following after him, want to get better at this. Part of the reason we come to church is to be encouraged, taught, stretched, whatever. And when Jesus asks, where's your faith? He's asking something about a common word, a word that we all have used. I've I've lived with it my entire lifetime because I literally grew up in a church. It's the word faith, and there's a lot of these words, by the way, if you pause and think about them a little more in depth, it'll make you wonder maybe and think a little deeper and apply it in a little different way. So that's what we're after this morning. So I want to ask you kind of an uncomfortable question, and please don't raise your hand. Here we go. Is there somebody in your life, maybe in a family, maybe at work, maybe out of your history, that you don't trust? Maybe somebody that's let you down or betrayed you or said they would be here or not there. Or just maybe you just have an intuition about them and you just think, eh, I, don't, I don't want to do business with them. I don't trust them. I think we all have that. I don't think there's one of us free from that, by the way. Here's what you need to know. There are three related words in Scripture The first one I want to talk about is trust. I have a little diagram for you. Uh, Trust is over here on the left. And I would argue that you can't live life without trust. You have to trust something. Do you know that you're trusting the seat you're sitting in right now? (laughs) To do its job. (laughs) If it doesn't, you'll be surprised and maybe hurt and I mean embarrassed it could be a lot of things right but you're trusting that it will do its job I don't think you can make it through life without trusting it's just not possible You trust based on knowledge. You trust based on what you know about another person. You trust based on the fact that you've been here before and you've sat in those pews before, so you trust them. You don't think about them falling apart. You can't live without it. 
It's a word used frequently in scripture. Jeremiah 17 says something like this. It says, your trust is in the Lord and your trust is the Lord. So within two sentences, it uses the word trust twice. And it says, your trust is in the Lord and your trust is the Lord. So it has two different elements and we can just spend some time pulling those two sentences apart and talking about them for the rest of the morning, actually. Because it's so central to us. The next word I'd like to talk about is belief. Belief fits in this same triad. And belief is an emotionalized value. It's a problem sometimes because we put emotion with it, and when you stick emotion with a value, it's hard to separate the two, and it makes you want to fight for them, etc. And so part of what goes on in our culture today is that we have a lot of beliefs based on what? Not always sure. I'm married to a true believer. Her name's Nancy. She's sitting right over here. Uh, you can sell Nancy almost anything. She's better than she used to be because I've yelled at her for a long time. <laughs> Just like with Tom, I've yelled at him for a long time. So uh, I'm, I'm a true skeptic. I, it's hard for me to trust anything. And, and it's getting worse because I don't know who to trust. I don't know what sources to trust. I'll explain that in just a minute. I don't know where you get the best data. And now there's so much disinformation and misinformation and false this and fake this. How do you sift through that and figure out, I'm going to trust this message and not that message? Well, it, it pushes itself into this area of belief and and. Belief has this emotional component to it. And so during COVID and following, we have had lots of people unable to continue in a relationship because their beliefs clash with one another. And they don't know how to build a bridge between them. And they're stuck. But it's a strong thing and it's in us. And a lot of times, beliefs are not articulated. In other words, I would say it this way. Most of us hold all kinds of values that are implicit, not explicit. I've worked for a couple groups and been in some churches that go out of their way to make sure that you know what they believe explicitly. One church every year goes through its seven prime values, one per Sunday every year. So if you sit in that church for very long, you're going to know what that church values. And, and you can challenge them. And, you know, I value loving my wife. And when I say I love you, she can challenge that. She can say, well, that doesn't feel very loving, what you just said, what you just did. If I don't make it explicit, if it's just implicit, if it's under the surface, if it's not articulatable, if it doesn't have language attached to it, then I can't do anything with it. So belief is one of these ideas that's powerful. We carry it around, we know it, but a lot of times we, don't, we just don't pay attention to it. And the last of the three is faith. Faith is an interesting word used in scripture a lot. We're going to talk about it primarily today, but I wanted to put the three of them together because they make up how we live. And they make up whether 
in the middle of that diagram where it says life right now, in the middle of that diagram should be the word mystery. I just didn't know how to spell mystery, so I didn't put it in there. But mystery uh, is, is how God made us. We are more than we know. I'm pretty old. Can't do anything about that, by the way. And I'm, I'm still stunned by and amazed by how much of life is a mystery. The woman I'm married to remains a mystery. It's not a joke, <laughs> although, although we laugh a lot about it, you know. I'm a mystery to myself, actually. There are things that pop up in me, and I think, where in the world did that come from? We are faith-based creatures. We run on faith. We, faith is how we're made. We're made to function that way. So uh, you do a little study in the Old Testament. The word that would be translated, any one of these three in Hebrew, any one of these three, trust, belief, or faith, is a word that literally means to create tension. It's the kind of tension you would have on a tightrope. You can't walk on a loose rope. You can hang from one. You can't walk on it. It has to have tension on it to walk on it. So if you're going to do tightrope walking, then you have to have this tension. This tension is what faith does. You walk by faith. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he says you're to walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean? It means that the things you see are not the things that you're to trust. The things that you walk by faith are a mystery. They're bigger than that. They're, they're beyond just the visual sensory apparatus you carry around it with you. Let's have a little fun with that. Exodus 14, one of my favorite passages in scripture because it's so much fun to read, especially if you like action and that kind of thing. And so here's the story in Exodus 14. Uh, Nancy said, promise you won't read this. <laughs> takes too long, but I, I would do it to you. We had a little more time. Okay, listen to the story. The Israelites have just been birthed into, as a nation. They've left Pharaoh. They left Pharaoh after 10 powerful demonstrations, visual things you could see, demonstrations of God's power. Finally, Pharaoh capitulates and lets them go. And they're backed up against the water, and on two sides of them are mountains. And here comes Pharaoh because he said, you know, I've lost this economic engine. I need these people back to make bricks for me again. Let's go get them. And so he takes his best chariots, 600 of them, I think, and, and horses and his best guys, and he ch charges after them. So now here's, here's the Israelites backed up in this corner. And here's the story. You know, the Israelites complained that they should be, they should have just left, stayed there in Egypt because they wouldn't, at least they wouldn't die in the desert. They could die there. And, and anyway, so they argue with Moses and Moses says, stand still, be quiet. Stand and see how God works. Now, when I listen to the news, it's, it's ferocious now. It's full of anger and fear and it's upsetting. 
So frankly, I don't watch the news, and I would ask you not to watch the news for a week. See what happens to your soul. <laughs> Why are you so quiet? <laughs> you think you can't make it a week? I'm being serious, really. We get so much information, it's killing us. And I'll read you something about that here in just a second. Okay, so they're backed up against the sea. Here comes Pharaoh, and Moses parts the water. Great story. The Israelites come through, that's a lot of them. God's presence in the cloud and the, and the fire keep them out, keep Pharaoh out. They get through the water, the water closes, and it closes on Pharaoh and his army, and they all are swallowed up in the sea and die. Now, at the very end of chapter 14, here's what it says. And they saw the great power of God. What's it say? It says they saw his great power. They're babies. And they saw what God did. Had they not seen the ten things that had happened before? Of course they had. This is the 11th. And based on seeing it, they, chapter 15, they had a worship service. And if you think your singing was good this morning, you should be in a worship service. And it tells you what they sang. They have the song in chapter 15 of Exodus. And it's a great time. How long did their faith last? Maybe three days. Not very long. Why? As one person says, they praised God on the wrong side of the water. Think about that. Think about Job. Job has his entire life taken away from him in one calendar day. He has his health, his family, his wealth, Everything about his life is removed from him. All the external things you can see, blessings, are gone in one day. And what's Job's first response? To worship God. And he'd been worshiping him up to that point. And the marvelous part of the story of Job is that he continues to worship him. And, that's, and it's what keeps him anchored. And that's what this story is about this morning. <clears throat> you and I are given a measure of faith. That's what it says in Romans 12, verse 3. It says, you're given a measure of faith different than my measure of faith. I can't compare my faith to your faith. It's just the faith that's been given to me is the faith that I need to learn how to use. So here's some examples of what I think faith is. Faith is like a hose. When you go to the, to, uh, the filling station, you usually are there because there's this little gauge on your dashboard that says E and F. And the E stands for, if you're a teenager, it means enough. <laughs> right? Not really. <laughs> Sorry. I guess some of you have experienced that, right? <laughs> anyway. Uh, you pull into the gas station and you take this hose and you put it in your tank and it goes to F, which stands for full, and you drive off, you're happy. But that same hose could be attached to a tank of water and you could put it in your gas tank and it would still go to F, 
But what would happen to your car? Wouldn't go anywhere. Why? Because you have put the wrong stuff in there. Faith is the hose. What it's attached to will depend on what you receive from it. So faith is this vehicle that carries true truth into your life, that carries grace into your soul, that allows you to live in the way that God designed you to live. Hebrews 12, Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not faith that saves you. It's the vehicle carries it, doesn't it? Carries grace into your life. Through faith, and that's not of yourself. That faith is not of yourself. That's a gift from God. You've been given this faith. Maybe there's another way that you can look at faith, just quickly. Uh, have you ever seen one of those embedded pictures that you have to turn, look cross-wide, cross-eyed kind of at to see the actual image that's buried in that picture? You're looking at me kind of funny. I should have put one up here so that you could actually see it. It's just a, a picture with a lot of stuff in it, you know, and then if you look at it long enough, the right way, close enough and cross-eyed enough and move your focus enough, what you can see is you, what pops out of it is another image altogether, and you think, where in the world did that come from, and why can I see it here and not here? And if you move a little bit, it goes away, and I don't know if you've ever tried one of those. Go online. It's called Hidden Pictures. I mean, you'll want to take a nap when you're done, but that's okay. Uh, the idea is that there's a thickness to what faith sees. That's why Paul says, walk by faith, not by sight. There's more going on in this world today than we can see. There's more going on than can be reported. There's more going on as a believer that God's in charge of than we know. Well, I have a quote for you. It should come up here on the screen. It says, we need to know why we trust God, so we don't need to know what he is doing and why he's doing it. But most of us need to know what he's doing and why he's doing it in order to trust him. I'm going to read it again. It's tricky. <laughs> we need to know why we trust God. So we do not need to know what he's doing or why. Versus knowing what he's doing and why in order to trust him. Most people choose the latter. I need to know what he's doing. I need to feel confident that I know what God's doing. And he says, walk by faith, not by sight. Now, he knew the Israelites needed another power thing. And he gave it to them graciously because he is that kind of a kind father. But... Guess what? Their faith did not support them longer than three days. Let's look at the passage of Scripture that this comes from, this question that Jesus asks. It's in Luke 8. Luke 8. 
verse 22, I'll read it to you. It says, now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Jesus is telling them where he wants to go. He's headed to somewhere. He's not headed to nowhere. And so they launched out. And as they were sailing along, he fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and he began to be swamped and to be in danger. And they came to Jesus and woke him up. And that's good that they would come to Jesus. That's important, I think. It's not wrong. And they said, Master, Master. And they recognized that he really did have power. We're perishing. And he got up. He was still asleep. He got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped. And it became calm. This is a miracle that takes place in nature. Most of us are praying for miracles in our own personal lives. They're different. Jesus responds like God would respond to the way he created the entire universe. And he got up, rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and he stopped, and they became calm. And then he said to them this question, where's your faith? They were fearful and amazed, and they should have been fearful, and they should have been amazed. Those were things that, that, that thinking you're going to drown, and this is it, gets you to saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water that they obey him? Now, I've been through this passage a lot of times in my life, but I've never noticed this one thing. Jesus' question is actually trying to get them to realize that they moved from kind of trusting Jesus to trusting the wind and the waves because they were immediate and they were experiential and it was a circumstance they were in and they panicked and they called on him and he was still asleep because he was trusting whom? whom? He was trusting his father and he's asking us to trust his father too. I think they shifted their hose from the gas, <laughs> Jesus our God, to the wind and the waves, nature and the loudness and the cacophony that was coming at them and the noise that the world makes and the two wars that are obvious right now. There's actually three that we know of. And, and, and you know, if you know anything about history, war's always gone on. It's not to dismiss it. It's not to minimize it. It's not to not be active in it. It's not to, to, to not know. It's just simply, what are we paying attention to? Are we paying attention to the wind and the waves or are we paying attention to the God who made the wind and the waves? And where is our faith? Is our faith, and that's what Jesus is asking, where is your faith? Is it anchored in what you see? So I'm going to take a little excursion, and it may be controversial, and that's okay, because I'm only here one day. And <laughs> you can just live with it, you know what I mean? Or ask Chris. You know, he'll, fig he'll figure it out for you. I think, as I observe Scripture, that God seems pretty indifferent to circumstances. Most of our prayers are about changing circumstances. A lot of mine are. From find me a parking place, which isn't wrong to pray for, by the way, to heal me of this disease. 
But God's got something more at stake. Something bigger. That's the mystery part. God's ways are, what's it say? Higher. They're beyond knowing. And to know the peace that's beyond comprehension is what it says in Philippians. I mean, you just keep going, but we keep running into that and we want to know, don't we? We feel so confident that if we just knew, we would be okay. So listen to this quote. An environment with excess information devours the one thing that information truly demands, which is attention. Let me read that again. An environment with excess information That's where we are right now. We have excess information. I don't know how many of you have a cell phone, but with a cell phone, you have excess information. If I'm not careful with my phone, I can spend 45 minutes absolutely doing nothing, learning nothing, and be overwhelmed by the data that comes. That's what this says. An environment with excess information devours the one thing that information that truly demands, which is attention. Attention is becoming scarce, so we have to use it wisely when we get it. What were the disciples paying attention to in the boat? What would you and I have been paying attention to in the boat? Probably the same thing. I'm not pointing a finger at him. I'm just wondering why the story's there when he says, where is your faith? What's he asking them? He's saying, you think this storm is something? You know what you're going to face as one of my disciples? You have to be anchored in a different place. You have to have the hose attached to the real source. You have to Pay attention to the right things. What information consumes is rather obvious. It consumes the attention of its recipients. Hence, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. Your ability to attend to something is dependent upon you having enough space to do it. Let me give you a little hint. You and I have not changed one bit since God created the world. The creation of mankind is not changed. God didn't come in and rearrange it later. And the, and the fall didn't rearrange it. You go no faster than you went in the garden today. But the world tells us we can go faster. Devices tell tell us we, can, we actually are doing more and we're being more productive because we have more access to more what? Information and more data and we can sift through it in better ways. And this is saying what? A wealth of information creates a poverty of attention and we need to allocate that attention efficiently among the overabundance of information sources that might consume it. If you are like me, and I'm a history major and a philosophy major undergraduate, and I love history, and so I'm fascinated by what's happening in our world today, and I love to get the, the, the information, and then I don't trust it. We're back to the word trust, right? I don't trust that information because I'm not sure of the sources, and even the sources that I have that I think I'm sure of, I'm not sure of, and then I read another story, and the story says, you can't trust that source. This story wasn't right, and I think, I just pretty soon I just, you know, 
So I really am serious about, would you take a week off from news? Would you do that for your own soul's sake? Would you do a little experiment with me to find out just where your soul is anchored? Are you paying attention to the God who made the wind and waves? Or are you so distractible that your attention goes immediately to the quickest thing that there is? Fast food. I like to cook. And I know to cook something well takes time. Just does. And it always makes a mess, by the way. And it creates tension. And it's a wonderful thing. There's an author I was reading just recently who said, Jesus ate his way through the Gospels, which is comforting. I like to eat. <laughs> and he was always at table. He was always eating something. That's, and that's what we do. We have people over. We sit down at the table. We talk, hopefully. Now people don't. There are some homes that don't even have tables. Because people aren't using them anymore. That's a tragedy, folks, because we're not different. We're in a different context, but the context does not, or should not, dictate what you choose to do or not. What are you paying attention to? You're paying attention to the world and the noise and the chaos and the tumult and the upsetness and the tension that's created by our world, or are you willing to walk by faith, not by sight, and trust the God you're singing about? How great thou art. Read, a, read an article and then sing the song. <laughs> Juxtapose those things so that you're not going to get the question that Jesus asked here. Where's your faith? Where is it located now? What happened to your faith? You were doing just fine before we got in this boat. Where did it go? Why are you not able to trust something bigger than what you see? Why do you need to have data that supports this in some way? Try reading a book while doing a crossword puzzle. You can smile. Have you ever read a book and done a crossword puzzle at the same time? That's the intellectual environment of the internet. It's asking us to do things that we really can't do. But God doesn't ask that of us. The information in the world doubles every day. What they don't tell us is that our wisdom is cut in half at the same time. It takes time. It takes margin. It takes space. You can't reflect on something. You can't muse about something. You can't think about something. You can't listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit in a hurry. And part of the reason is, God's not in a hurry. I read a commentary the other day that talked about God being slow. I don't think he's slow. <laughs> I think he's right on time. What do you give your attention to? You sang some pretty strong words this morning. Do you know why you can trust God? 
Hebrews 11 says this, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. What does he want from you? What does he want from me? He does not need our work. He does not need our efforts. Tom read out of Psalm 46. And 46.10 says, stop striving. Stop straining. Stop pushing. Let go. Relax. Take a deep breath. I don't think he meant you could go to sleep during church, but <laughs> if you need to, do it. For he who comes to God must believe that God is and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. So Jesus asked this question, well, where's your faith? And he's asking it to his disciples. He's not asking it to a general audience. He's asking it to people who are following him who've given up a ton to get to that point. What you pay attention to shapes your reality. Okay, one more thing. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, our natural tendency uh, as Christians, as people in general, but the natural tendency as Christians to uh, cluster together to feel better about ourselves in a way. And uh, he writes a book called Screwtape Letters. I don't know how many of you have ever read Screwtape Letters, but Screwtape Letters is a reverse, is, reverses the way you think about God. And he basically has Screwtape, one of Satan's workers, demons, I guess, working against you. And uh, uh, so he, the, the writing is just the opposite of what you would think. But I came across this the other day, and it re-reminded me of what I'm trying to say today. So... I'll walk through it kind of slowly. This is the application of what I'm talking about. You're, you and I are headed into 2024 here pretty quickly. And if you're paying any attention at all to the, all the noise that's happening on the political scene and all the noise that's coming, it just feels like, wow, here we go again. And it's split people. And I read an article listening to a guy just talking about how everything's going so fast and 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 he was praising it because it, uh, artificial intelligence takes computers that are super quick and the faster they get the more effective this becomes and the more powerful a tool it is and he wasn't against the tool at all nor am i uh, he simply was saying we need to be prepared for this we need to know how to manage it because it's man's producing it. It's not a magic and it's not a mystery really. It's simply a, a tool that's given to us, a technology that's given to us. And I've been in church all the way through COVID and I've been with families and I know how hard it is to have this stuff surface in terms of what we believe and then, we, then we're antagonistic to one another in some way, and we can't figure out a bridge between those two in some way. And I'm going to just tell you what the bridge is. The bridge is answering this question that Jesus asked this morning. 
That's the bridge. If you start at what you see, like a political issue or an economic issue or some war issue or how you think the economy ought to be fixed or whatever it is, if you start there and work, try to work your way back to God, I don't think you're going to get there. I think what will happen is you'll trip over something on the way because it's too, it's backwards basically. So I would just simply say sequence matters. And if you start with God and work your way out to the events in your world, you're going to see them differently than if you start with the events and try to work yourself back to God. When we ask a why question, we almost always ask the why question about an event, a circumstance, a situation. And what God does is he kind of seems like he ignores those because he's asking us, where's your heart? Listen to C.S. Lewis, and I'll go slow here. The, it's, Satan's demons are plotting to extend Satan's kingdom. And now he says this. He says, all extremes. Think of polarization in our world. The guy I listened to talking about how, this, how the computers are quick, etc. He says, what this is doing is it's polarizing us more and more. And he wasn't talking about politically necessarily. He did include that, but that wasn't all. He was saying, as we get more polarized, we get more adversarial. We're more negative toward one another, and we have less trust. Isn't that how I started out? How do you restore trust? Well, the Bible has one great answer, and we misuse it most of the time. It's called forgiveness. But we don't we don't marinate in that. We don't sit in that, and so we don't build bridges. We just harbor distrust for a lifetime. I know people that are bitter and resentful and hurt and, and they've carried it for 30, 40 years. What's Jesus saying? Where's your faith? <laughs> What's it located? Who are you trusting? Here he says, he says, all extremes, all polarization, except extreme devotion to, G to God himself, are to be encouraged, he says. He's arguing, Lewis is arguing that if he can get us to be out on the fringes, out on the edges somehow, he's got you. Not always, of course, but at this period, he said, some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it's our business to soothe them yet faster. Other ages of which the present is one, are unbalanced and prone to faction. And it's our business to inflame them. This is the demons talking. A small group bound together by some interest, which other men dislike or ignore, tends to develop inside itself a hothouse of mutual admiration. And towards the outer world, a great deal of pride and hatred, which is entertained without shame because the cause is its sponsor and it is thought to be impersonal. He's just simply saying... If you are not anchored in the goodness of God, you will change your theology to fit your situation. I'm going to say that again. If you're not anchored in the goodness of God, you'll alter your theology to fit your circumstance. It ought to be your theology that alters your perception, not the other way around. 
I'd really like to ask for questions, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to pray. I hope you've got this one piece. When Jesus asked his disciples, what? Where's your faith? Really, you could finish that sentence probably. Jesus could have finished the sentence and said, where's your faith in me? Where's your faith in me? What happened to it? Why'd you put your faith in the storm? Why didn't you put it in me? Why didn't you stay grounded in who I am? If you don't know why you trust God, you're going to need to know what he's doing and why he's doing it. But if you'll grow, what you'll find yourself is you'll know why you can trust him so you don't need to know what he's doing or why he's doing it. Pray with me, would you? Father, something simple like this question really isn't so simple. It's profoundly personal. And I pray that wherever we are, each of us, different places, different times in life, different age groups, different things we're grappling with, different things we're facing, different challenges in our families, different challenges in our own economics, different challenges in our health, different challenges living in this world. But wherever we are, I pray that we will be able to adapt our vision to, as Paul says, have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, to understand that you are still on the throne. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. I kept thinking about that while we were singing the song about the Lamb of God. Both images are necessary, King of Kings and the Lamb, together. Help us to live fully. Help us to live with freedom. Help us to live un unencumbered. Help us to go through this next year uh, with kindness being the driver, not something that we put on at the last minute. Help us to draw people toward you, not away from you. Regardless of what we believe in the moment, help us to trust you more, not us, not what we see. Help us to praise you on the right side of the water. Help us to praise you because of who you are. Help us to praise you because you're God Almighty and there is no other. And you're worthy of that praise. Help us to focus our attention on what matters. And then help us to love one another in ever-increasing ways so that you get the glory and we experience the joy your son died to provide for us. It's in his name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen.